Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, we're cooling off, people. The worst of the summer has passed us. It's still good golf weather, but the days are ticking down to the golf season now. If you want to savor a little golf, this is your chance right here. PK and I with Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio, Saturday morning, 6 to 9 a.m. Bob talking a little U.S. Open with us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Bob Casper, I have a bone to pick with you. You do? Yes! You made fun of my pick, and then you mocked Bryson DeChambeau. You intimidated PK and I into not picking it. I didn't want to use my third-round pick on DeChambeau. (laughs) I couldn't believe he was still on the board, but after you poo-pooing him... And then you were wrong. He not only won, he lapped the field. Bob, what did Bryson DeChambeau do that you clearly did not expect? Uh, I didn't expect him to be able to play the golf course, hitting it in the rough. Um, But, you know, that's, uh, I guess that's the old mindset now. Um, You know, uh, here's a guy that, that played some great golf, shot three rounds in the 60s. And, uh, and an even par round in the third par round and was able to win the golf tournament by six shots. But let's not forget, in 2000, Tiger Woods won the U.S. Open at, uh, at Pebble Beach, and he won by 15 shots. Um, and, you know, guys come along every once in a while that put it all together in one given week, and uh, Bryson was able to do that this week uh, where he was able to win the U.S. Open this last week. Um, you know, the week before or two weeks before that, he struggled at Eastlake, hitting it in the rough because of the Bermuda rough and the ball going deep down all the way to the ground. So um depends on the week. It depends on how he plays. depends on how he putts. Um, but I didn't see this coming, and unfortunately, uh, I didn't pick him either. So the... Players were commenting, and I was listening, or reading actually, not listening, but reading a lot of stuff on uh, the McElroy's uh, opinion uh-huh. of it. Uh, and Ian Poulter, uh, he's not my cup of tea, but, you know, he still won it. So uh, I'm wondering what you think the the feeling is among the players and DeChambeau, the way he is going about playing the game and what he's done to be able to play it the way he plays it. Well, uh, you know, I, it's interesting. All these guys, all these guys work out hard. They, they, uh, practice hard. They do it in a more conventional way than what you see with Bryson. Bryson's all of his irons, every single one of his irons in his bag is the same length from his, from his three iron or two iron all the way to his pitching wedge and sandwich. They're all the same length. They're all the, the length of a six iron. Um, that's just one of the ways he's looked at it. His grips are big, huge grips, almost like a baseball bat. Um, and, and, you know, uh, he was going along in the game, winning golf tournaments, you know, maybe about one a year or whatever. Um, and then he comes back, uh, during the off season at the beginning of the year and he's, and he's bigger. And then when we have the COVID shutdown, he comes back and he's 20 pounds bigger um, and stronger and hitting the ball crazy distances longer and, um, and ends up coming back and doing some, some great things. 
Um, I think he's just pushing the envelope a little bit. Um, we see a lot of these guys that have pretty standard swings. They've learned the game a certain way. And it's, it's now as you're teaching juniors or, or as you're, um, um, as you're teaching your, your kids and letting your kids get into the game and stuff, um, a lot of people are saying now, teach them how to swing as hard as they can and, um, and hit it as far as they can. Because the golf, because face it, the game of golf has, has made a change. And, um, and guys are, guys are stronger. They're more athletic. They hit the ball further. Um, it's just Bryson does it in a, in a little bit, in a lot different way than, than a lot of those guys are doing. I mean, he didn't hit it the furthest this week. Um, there were guys that hit it, drove it further than him. He only, he hit less than 50% of his fairways, but he was able to hit it far enough down there that he could take advantage of, um, shorter, uh, shorter clubs into greens and that kind of thing and be able to still score. So is this uh, the new world order and this is the way things are going to be? Or they're going to change the technology in the golf ball and rein some of these guys in a little bit? Or we're going to see narrow tree-lined holes? Well, that'll take years for those trees to grow. So what's going to happen here? Well, you know, the USGA and the RNA are the governing bodies in the game of golf, and they're, they're working on a, a, distance, uh, a distance study right now. That uh, you know, I don't know what the study's gonna gonna show. It's gonna show that you know guys are definitely hitting it further now than they than they were. But you know, if you rein the ball back, you're raining the ball back for everybody. And guys that don't hit it far are are put at that much more of a disadvantage. It's not going to change anything because the long hitters are going to still be hitting that long. The short hitters are going to still be hitting it short. I think what they need to do possibly is uh, create the golf ball is so aerodynamic right now that it doesn't spin as much. I think they need to put a little bit more, make require a little more spin back in the golf ball. So then a guy that swings 120 miles an hour that, that bombs it out there is going to have to control the ball a little bit more. And, and he's going to have to, uh, going to back off, have to back off on his swing and not just go at it as hard as possible. Yeah, changing the ball doesn't make any sense. That's like the argument, well, tall players are dominating basketball, so let's re- yeah. make the rim yeah. 11 feet. You just The tall players are still going to have the advantage, so there's really no point in doing that uh, in terms of shortening the distance because it's all relative, and everybody else's right. distance will still be the distance between me and DeChambeau will still be the same. Yep. It'll just be longer from the hole. So I'm wondering, too, how many changes or what you think about changes to the actual golf courses to not put those guys in the position to be able to reward them as much if they're not hitting the fairways. Well, you know, the, the golf courses, you know, now everybody says, well, you gotta, you got to build longer golf courses. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Um, you know, we saw at Marion a few years ago when they played the U.S. Open at Marion where um, Justin Rose won, guys, you know, that golf course is about 7,000 yards. The golf course that we, that they played this last week was 7,500 yards. Um, next year's U.S. Open at uh, Torrey Pines is going to be about 7,700 yards. 
um, at, at what point do you do you continue to go and um, go further and further and further? Uh, I, I think Marion. One of the things that was great about Marion was at seven thousand yards, it would, the golf course was tight. It required guys to um, to think about where they were going to hit the ball, how they were going to hit the ball in the greens, that kind of thing. Um, and it was and it was really tree lined. So I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know where where the the jump off point is. It's uh, um, it's just we're we're just at a unique place right now in the game of golf, and uh, and the and the game is changing. It's it's and and, and that happens. Um, it changed when Tiger Woods came along, um, and uh, it uh, it changed when Jack Nicklaus came along. It changed during Bobby Jones's era. Those are all things that happen. Those are all kind of milestones, and and this is going to be this is going to be interesting to see how it how it plays out. What about putting features on uh, on a golf course? You know, you see these. Uh, do guys handle the fairway bunkers as easily as they handle the deep rough? Um, do you you know the pot bunkers that we see on these uh, courses in the British Open? I mean, there's other stuff you can do, but it seems outside the norm of what we expect out of a golf course here in the U.S. Well, fairway bunkers for the most part, guys can play out of, um, and uh, especially if they're flat. If they're big and deep, then then that's a different story. Then it becomes more of a hazard. And big and deep bunkers in the fairways. Um, Pot bunkers in the fairways, like you see in uh, British Open, uh, Rota Golf Courses, British Isles, and that kind of thing. Those those are basically a one shot penalty for driving it into those. So um, maybe that's that's a way they could, I guess, um, put some put some more difficulty in. But they're going to have to put those fairway bunkers further further down the fairway because guys are hitting it so long that they're carrying it 330 yards and uh, so they've got they've got to be able to be in play for them to be a detriment so this wolf kid who had the lead on saturday that swing Uh i'm going to analyze it for you i'm going to make an analogy tell me what you think of it i think the swing is part jim furick and part john travolta on the dance floor in saturday night fever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's, you know, um, that's a pretty good analysis of it. Um, uh, you know, and Jim Furyk, of course, went on the win this week. He's played two uh, PGA, PGA Tour Champions events, and he's won two PGA Tour Champions events. Um, he won a couple of beats this week. So, um, yeah, you know, what, what works for you doesn't work for everybody else. Um, it's what he's always done. And how he's always played, and Matthew Wolf has won um, the NCAA championship. Um, he's won great major golf tournaments. He's won once on the PGA Tour already, um, and uh, and he's con- going to continue to play extremely well on the PGA Tour just because he hits it long, and uh, and he's a great competitor. So unfortunately, he had a bad round. Um, but Bryson DeChambeau was the cream of the crop um, this last week and the only guy to shoot under par. Now, as far as the golf course is, con- is concerned, the golf course played phenomenal last week. You're talking about an anomaly with Bryson DeChambeau 
because everybody else shot even par or worse um, after for 72 holes. That's the way the golf course was set up to be um, for for the U.S. Open Championship. Bryson DeChambeau was able to take advantage of it, and that's why he shot six under par. Now that he's got one major, is he a guy who's going to pile up a couple more? Um, yeah, I think he will. Um, it's pretty interesting that he already came out and said that uh, he's thinking about going to a 48-inch driver before the Masters and putting on 15 more pounds of muscle before he goes to the Masters in November. Um, you know, at one point, do you keep pushing that envelope? Um, you know, he, he's got the special sauce, so to speak, right now. Why, why try to push it even further? But that's the kind of guy that he is. But, yeah, I think he'll win other major championships. Um, you know, he, along with Tiger Woods and Jack Nichols, are the only guys now that have won the NCAA championship, the U.S. Amateur, and the U.S. Open. Those, they're the only three players to have done that. So Bryson DeChambeau is in some pretty um, rare air with, with uh, the greats in the game right now. I say with the three of us, we ought to have a bet. Who could put on the most weight between now and the Masters? <laughs> I'd beat you there, too. <laughs> hey, hey, don't dismiss me like that. I will not be disrespected. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny, PK. I like that. I'll start throwing down pasta four times okay, a day. But, okay, but I got a question for you. Overall, what? who would have won this week between us three? Well, you, you're the best player of the three. We're not denying that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about our picks. Oh, 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 oh. Well, if you wouldn't have intimidated us, we, one of us would have put in shape. Oh, oh, oh if I wouldn't have intimidated. So I, oh, well, I, 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 and I, hey, if you know me, acknowledging somebody intimidated me is like the worst thing I can acknowledge. <laughs> I guess I'm the big bully on the block, huh? You you did yeah you totally just made me nervous and I didn't do it I was going to because as DJ said earlier he's a top ten player in the world of course one of us would pick him but you intimidated yeah. me and I'm embarrassed oh. yeah yeah I guess I did he's <laughs> and you don't want to deal with that oh. <laughs> I say All All right, I think Bob. I won Dustin du- no you won Sh- uh, Shafley. Yep, Shoffley was plus four, Dustin plus five, and yeah. I also had Justin Thomas and Webb Simpson at plus six, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Tony finished plus six, got him, got another top ten. That's, right. seven, that's seven top tens in his last ten major championships. Tony's going to break through here pretty soon. All right, we're all ready for that. That'll be a yep. party. I remember when Mike Weir won. That was a party. We were we were over the other place doing radio, and they brought him through because he came he came to the Wasatch Front for a celebration. And I just remember it was like, wow, this is like closest thing yep. I've seen to the Beatles since uh, Jordan and the Bulls were in town. There were so many people at that radio station wanting to get a glimpse of of him, and yeah, it was crazy. That was fun. Yeah, it really was. It was a good yep. time, even if I was back in row thirty two and had a bad view. It was still fun. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Bob. All right, guys. Take care. All right. DJ and PK, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show.
From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. No NBA basketball last night. NBA taking the night off. They had to get the East and the Western Conference Finals kind of on track so there isn't too much extra time for one team or the other. Unless they earn it, you know. If the Lakers were to sweep and the East goes seven, well, then so be it. But the East started much earlier in the West, so they took the night off. No reason to go head-to-head with Monday Night Football. (laughs) There's been enough damage done to the ratings with everything happening at once. Sunday was crazy. U.S. Open golf versus NFL football in the afternoon. And then in the evening, the... NBA playoffs versus NFL football versus the Emmys. <laughs> it's just way too much programming all at once. Uh, Steve Cleveland joined us in yesterday's show to talk about the Lakers and the Nuggets who play game three tonight with the Lakers up 2-0. So he'll drop a few last nights. He knows what day of the week it is, trust us. Uh, but his take on game two as we get ready for game three. Here's Steve Cleveland with PK and I. We are joined now on the T-Mobile special guest line by Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. So, Steve, you joined us all summer long and said, I don't know what we're going to talk about this week with no games going on, but I'm pretty sure you know which shot we want to talk about right now. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, uh, pretty amazing. So I I put it out on Twitter the video, you know, what what's Plumlee doing? And somebody tweets back and says, "Well, you could see him talking about switching in the timeout." They're like, "Well, yeah, but you switch when there's a screen and AD didn't come within 5 feet of LeBron." I mean, they're not playing a zone where you push the next guy out. You don't really do that in NBA because guys come open and they don't need to be open by very much or for very long, so you can't really do that in the NBA. Well, what yeah, happened? Well, I, is that just a brain lock? Is that is it just that yeah, easy? I mean, the, the thing about it is that the, the other presence there was LeBron, and, and typically in these situations, they go to LeBron. I mean, and they had been going to him, and, you know, he had – had good good moments and, and some not so good moments, but I think number one in that timeout they had to be talking about LeBron and LeBron's sitting there at the elbow, you know, is he looking for a slip? Is he going to look for a back screen? Uh, and, and obviously uh, there was a lack of communication. They had they they talked about switching. You could hear that, and but you don't you don't you switch on the screen is set and you switch there and you communicate it and it's just shoulder to shoulder and you bump out and contest and. Obviously, the big fella was a, a a little bit late getting out there, and Jokic couldn't get a hand. I mean, he had a hand up. It wasn't like he didn't give an effort, but you could have denied that pass. I mean, literally, you could have been right into the body. I mean, he still could have made the shot, but it could have made it much more difficult. He just rose right over the top of him and still had to make an incredible shot. But there was a there was certainly a defensive breakdown there, and it starts with a lack of communication. And whether or not they executed exactly what Coach Malone wanted, I don't know. It's hard to tell. But it did seem and appear that they were going to switch everything and contest the shot. I mean, there's only two seconds left. Why not Why not switch everything? And um, obviously it didn't happen. And, they'll, they'll, you know, you learn from those things. Unfortunately, uh, Guy just made an unbelievable shot. And... Uh, uh, 
there you go. I mean, it's just a difficult loss. Denver had that game. They were in a position to win that game. And uh, the Lakers just kind of stole it from them. And the night day, I didn't think they played great. Uh, there was good things there, but I just thought they made so they turned, Lakers turned the ball over, took bad shots, and stood around a lot in that game, and couldn't never really kind of get the, the fast break going. That being said, they're still talented enough to make big plays, and they did at the end. So in this postseason, maybe there's more, but two high-profile buzzer beaters come to mind: Dawson against the. Clippers and then this one Davis against the Nuggets and both of those involved screw-ups and miscommunications on switches could I make an argument in those situations don't switch you got your guy and you're accountable and to me I made this analogy on television I said that for Plumlee if Anthony Davis would have left the bubble you would have left the bubble too because you were assigned to guard him so wherever he went that's where you went yeah no there's you know, I mean, here's the deal. You body up, don't get screened, face, you know, you, you put yourself in a position to do that. I, I, I like that. I mean, you, what happens when you start switching everything is people start slipping to the basket and there's, you give up something else. And uh, that's a time that everybody just, you know, you, you just, everybody has to be accountable. And you're talking about that, hey, I am not leaving. I'll fight through the screen. And you can get over the tops of screens and, uh, again, it was a matter of two seconds, but uh, you knew the guys that were going to probably beat you. I mean, you got you got to go to the guys that are going to probably beat you. you. Certainly, LeBron and AD were the two that you'd focus on. But it, it was a situation that uh, uh, I, I, I have the same mindset that, that that you do regarding that. I mean, they just fight through everything, and uh, and then obviously there's a couple of guys you don't have to guard that you can kind of contain inside for slips. Or guys diving to the basket, but uh, they 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 want they needed a three. I mean, they wanted to win the game, and uh, so I, I I agree with that theory and then with that philosophy. Uh, it's just better to everybody know who they have, just uh, be tough, get through it, and do not let your guy get the ball. And if you get beat back the back door, then we go play overtime. But don't give them a three. So should the Nuggets be obsessed about that last shot, or should they be beating themselves up for turnovers? Should they be beating themselves up for missed free throws? Well, all of those things happen. Uh, I, you know, I think I think the one thing that Denver knows is that they're good enough to beat this team. Uh, I, I I personally feel like the Lakers beat themselves, put themselves in situations. Uh, I, I think Denver has to go. It's unfortunate, and emotionally, it's a real drain. You don't have a lot of time to get over it. Uh, and they've had all these seven-game series, so you know you could say it could take a toll on them. But I, Denver's not that far away, and 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 the, and the difference has been, you know, the, the the play of AD or the play of LeBron late in games. And, and the first game obviously was a blowout, but the Nuggets weren't ready to play game number one. I'd come off a seven-game series. They, did, they weren't emotionally where they needed to be. Last night, they were in a, they were in a place where they could win. I, I think looking at the Lakers, I mean, there's a lot of things about the Lakers that, that I really, really like. But when, when the Lakers are best is when AD is at the five. And, and I know – and that being said, I think Dwight Howard has had a huge impact in this short series. And I think they need Dwight Howard. I'm not saying that they can't go big, 
but but certainly when you're going to take AD out of the game, Dwight Howard is a guy that I'd want to have there because physically he matches up with Jokic. He's got a presence. But I love it. Anytime this game is at an important time of the game, AD needs to be at the five. They can spread the floor. Everything opens up. And you've got, you know, whether it's LeBron playing the point or Caruso or Rondo, when things open up and it allows LeBron to attack the rim. And the nice thing is that AD now, when he sets screens, he can roll or he can pick and pop. And, and, and he can score that way as well. But the floor just gets spaced out so much better when AD's down low. And, and, and I know a lot of the, the pundits and TV and everything have, have talked about that as well. But I, I've been watching this Laker team play throughout the playoffs. And uh, having, having those two bigs in there, whoever they are, uh, it, it just – the spacing is bad. And what happens? They just stand around and it's, you know, here comes the shot clock and pretty soon it's 15, it's 10, it's 8. And guess what? We're going to take another contested shot. So they take way too many contested shots. Not that they're not capable of making them. They're, they're great. They've got some great players. But, man, long term, that's not the way to play this game. And uh, they've got to get things going earlier in the shot clock rather than just depending on LeBron at the end, who obviously is really good sometimes at the end of the shot clock. But much better, much better when the floor is spaced and open where LeBron has space to attack and, and Rondo can kind of probe and find people. Uh, where the floor spread. So I think a lot of how the Lakers are playing led to a lot of the success that Denver's having. We so we saw after game two, the Celtics kind of had a little internal uh, implosion there, and then they come out and win game three. Can that kind of stuff work to your advantage if you use it the right way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Man, you, you've, got, you've got to have that. I mean, everybody's afraid of that. You know, it's fearful that, doesn't want that. What's the perception? You know, the locker room's not good. Man, it, you, you, you're playing, and this coaching staff, Coach Stevens and his staff, they, they know their guys, and they, they know what, what's in their heart. And, and, and it's kind of like you, you need a Marcus Smart. I mean, you need people who are going to challenge people. Those guys have been practicing and playing together for a long time. This is not going to be a hurt feelings deal. It, it's kind of a wake-up call. And uh, you, you have to have that kind of emotion and that toughness and that competitive spirit. You know, they, it's, they're playing a, a team that ha- has the ability to, to really score and play differently themselves. But, no, I, I, I love the attitude. Uh, you know, obviously as a coach, you've got to control it and get things done. But getting guys to solve their own problems rather than having the coaches solve their own problems is always a player-led team is always better than a coach-led team. Well, if the principles are good sound and you're doing the right things, when guys come together, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And uh, we'll, we'll probably, maybe we're going to mention it, but I, you know, one of the things I really saw from the Celtics yesterday, besides just, you know, four guys scoring in the 20s, Tatum 25, Walker 21, Smart 20, Brown 26, is the zone wasn't nearly as effective. And one of the things I thought that Gordon Hayward did and what, what they did throughout that game, they more consistently got the ball in the middle of that zone and guys were wide open. And really, Miami has won a lot of games playing the zone. I mean, it's like watching a college team, and they're really, really good at it. But uh, having Gordon Hayward back, whether he scores or not, putting someone there in the middle where you can find people, and you know, and he's going to get more comfortable. Uh, I just felt like the zone wasn't nearly as effective with, with Hayward. And even if Hayward hadn't played, 
the, the zone attack by Coach Stevens and the Celtics uh, was really effective getting the ball into the middle. Before they were just satisfied with passing around the perimeter and taking contested threes. They got into scenes. They they attacked, and then Miami. Because that's Miami's best defense. I mean, that's where they hung their hat on. That's where they've won games because they're playing different than a lot of other teams. It's almost like watching a college team. Uh, so I think that's another thing that bodes well for the Celtics is they figure out how to win. And of course, I'm sure that Miami will make adjustments and do different things. But I think that was the difference in in that game three. We're seeing physical fitness go to another level. Uh, guys are more into their diets than ever before and working out with specialists and all this. And when I see a stat that Jamal Murray was plus 16 in 44 minutes, and then that means in the other four minutes that his team is outscored by 18 points in the four minutes he was off the floor. Can these guys get to the point where they just play 48 minutes? Is that possible? Is that some mental breakthrough that once one guy does it, like shooting 35-footers, other people will try it too? Or is there just no way to do that, even with these long TV timeouts and playoff games and that kind of stuff? You know, I, I think it makes it more difficult when you're playing every other day. I mean, the, the body you know, recovers and then and they have all the latest and greatest technology for recovery, uh, and, and, and that helps. But, but certainly the athletes today are fitter than they've ever been. And, uh, and, and the game is played at a, at a pretty rapid pace uh, where, and, and in the physicality of the game. So, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not saying, I mean, if anybody could do it, he could. Uh, certainly there are guys that can play extended minutes, but when you're playing seven-game series, and you're doing it again and again, your body eventually breaks down. Now, one thing you can hear every one of these players, they just talk when they finish and they're being interviewed. It's like, hey, I got to go back. And, and, and basically, they're going back to take care of their body, you know, whether it's with ice or heat or, you know, stretching or whatever they have. There, there are the technology is such that they can really get these guys to recover in a short period of time. But I, I agree with you. The fitness of, of these athletes. We're watching it on TV, and you you all have seen, as I have, watched these games up close and personal and seen the physical contact and how it wears on you. And uh, so the the conditioning's incredible. And really, to be honest with you, at the end of games, you think about how how important that Murray is to this team. And he's you know he's having to great he's having to defend great guards. He's running the team. He's having to make big baskets. he, he, I've never seen a guy fitter than this guy. I mean, he, he just goes and goes and goes, and, and he's given everything he had. And I, I can't believe this thing is up. I'd be surprised if this is a six or a seven-game series just because, the, number one, the Lakers are very talented, and they have significant size to offset all of the wonderful offensive stuff that, that the Nuggets do and, and how Jokic is just a, a genius and a mastermind on the floor seeing people. But – the Lakers have something nobody else has in the playoffs, and that's the significant size at the rim. And all the back cuts, all the easy baskets around the rim are much harder to come by. But, uh, yeah, I, I have such a, a great appreciation for Murray because he's a really good defender. And uh, when you're playing those kinds of minutes and still have the capacity to, you know, have triple doubles, guard your guy, it says a lot about where the athletes are today, the conditioning, the offseason. But I think really the recovery type things that are happening, when you're playing 48 hours later, there's a lot of recovery, a lot of 
a lot of ice, ice tubs, and all the different technology they have to cool their bodies down and replenish them is, is really important as playing the game. Thanks, Steve. we got to run. We appreciate it. All right, man. Take care. Steve Gleeman, our basketball insider, joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. All right, the Pac-12. Looks like they're coming back. Maybe Halloween. Maybe the first Saturday in November. If they are coming back, how much time do the players need to get ready? How much time do the Utes and the Sun Devils need since they've still been doing some work? And how much more time does Stanford need since their team's been scattered across the country because the campus has been closed? Jordan Pendleton played at BYU. He's the owner of Performance One, and we are going to run those questions past him next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and Jordan Pendleton joining us now. Owner of Performance One, former BYU linebacker. We have many things to speak with him about. BYU's home opener, for one. And also the Utes and the Pac-12 restarting. Jordan, good morning. Good morning. How's it going, guys? Good. Good. PK thought of your name. You are the perfect guy to ask multiple questions about the Pac-12 and the Big Ten restarting. Um, There was an article, I don't know if you read The Athletic or not, it's behind a paywall, so not everyone does, but Bruce Feldman has an excellent article with several quotes, some of which are quite profane and can't be shared on the radio, but basically there are coaches, assistant coaches, and strength and conditioning coaches saying that they need four or six or... In some cases, eight weeks to get ready for the season. One strength coach doesn't think they should play till the middle of November. They're going to have a bleep ton of injuries. You can't just go from routes on air to playing Washington. Now, Utah and ASU have been able to work at one level. Uh, UCLA has had like three of their last five workouts called off because of air quality. So, you know, aside from COVID stuff, because of the fires, they haven't even been able to to go out and, you know, have 12 guys work against air. So there's a lot of wiggle room here as far as what teams have done. But when you hear all of this, as a guy who's in the performance and athletic performance industry and you played, how much practice and how much hitting do you need to get ready for football? Yeah, that's a a very interesting point. You know, I I think – I agree with with what he's saying, um, and and you saw it yesterday in the NFL. There was a um, if you guys paid, I'm sure you guys did, uh, but if you paid attention to the NFL games yesterday, I think there was over 20 injuries mm-hmm. just yesterday alone, and and um, a lot of ACLs and guys that are you know Pro Bowl type players that are getting injured, and so just to see that many injuries was oh man, it was, it was terrible. But you know that I. I agree. Football is is such a physical sport. It requires you to do uh, a, a lot of things that other sports don't require you to do. You know, there's there's a lot of cutting. There's a lot of change of direction, uh, and then you, there, you gotta you're moving in multiple directions: backpedaling, shuffling, coming downhill, forward. Uh, there, there's a lot of different movements involved in the game of football, and then not to mention you're 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 weighed down by your pads. 
so you're doing it uh, at a weight that you're that's heavier than what you're used to walking around at. Um, and then and then you got to do it on on top of that. You got to do it while you, while you're hitting people and and getting off blocks and and making tackles and and so it's a, it's a very demanding sport on the body. There's a reason we only play once a week, right? In, in comparison to other sports that that can have back to back games and 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 played mul- multiple times a week. So th- there's a reason we only play you know in the NFL 16 games a year, and in college sometimes 10, 11 games a year. It's it's a very demanding sport, and to not have a, a you know the off season is, in my opinion is the most important time to, to get ready and prepare the body uh, for those demands during the season. And, and so it makes a, a, an interesting topic to go into a season without having been fully, you know, prepared physically to, to take on the demands of the sport. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see how they pull it off and, and when they actually start. But uh, I would have to agree with, you know, I would have to agree with his, with his statements uh, about injuries being more prevalent, prevalent with less preparation time, for sure. So you're dealing with, when you train these college athletes, which you do professionally many times over, football players, whatever the sport may be, we'll just focus on football for now. When you get them, uh, how long do you need in your training that you do with these individuals before you feel like they would be ready to actually play a game or actually go into a training camp practice and be able to withstand all the physical regimens that they have to do? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Every every athlete is different, obviously, and and every athlete has a different starting point when they first come in. Um, if it's somebody you know coming off the season or getting ready for a season, uh, you know our our first initial training block is just about just really getting their body ready for higher loads and 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 more volume. So that usually takes about a month, and then it'll take another two to three months to get an athlete, um, you know, physically ready to, to go out and handle the loads that come with football. Um, you know, not, not just from a strength standpoint, but from an overall conditioning standpoint, you know, football is a elastic aerobic sport. So you've got to, you've got to have the conditioning to be able to, to last for four hours. And then you've got intermittent resting between the games where sometimes if you're on defense, you might be out on the field for a drive, and then if your offense is on the field on a long drive, sometimes you're sitting around for, uh, you know, ten minutes before you get back on the field. So, so you you've got to be ready to not only, um, you know, take intermittent rest in between the game, but then go back out again and then go full go uh, and, and be able to last for three and a half, four hours, depending on how long the game typically lasts. And so, it, it's just a different sport as far as the energy demands and. Um, you know, you know. Usually, ideally, these strength coaches are going to want a three, a good three, four month block of training before they hand them over into the, you know, the, the heat of a season. So, Jordan, there are a lot of cliches that uh, we deal with in the media that we get really tired of. Um, there's probably some you enjoyed sharing when you played. I don't know. Maybe, uh, uh, you know, coaches, uh, we're going to change the culture of this. Uh, okay, I know you need to do that, but honestly, please. But here's a good one from the end of camp. 
we're really tired of hitting each other. We can't wait to get out there and hit somebody else. Man, if that quote doesn't have to be said about 10 days before every season opener. Um, but how much of that hitting, even if it bores players, is necessary? I mean, is that like a lower level of hitting than games? Kind of explain that to people who haven't been through a college football season. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's definitely important. That's that's the other tough thing about about football. Is you really can't prepare for an actual game unless you unless you hit each other. And you know, so it's it's not like other sports where you can go and um, you know, like basketball, where you know you can you can run through plays and you can run up and down the court. You don't you don't really have to full goal when it comes to football and you're trying to make tackles the, the only way to practice football is to, to actually go live um, you know and, 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 and it's such a different situation when you're in a game and you've got to make a tackle or you've got to make a block on somebody that's going full speed uh, it's, a, it's a whole different beast and in order to prepare for that you've got to do that in practice and you know sometimes it becomes monotonous when you're going up against the same same guys every, you know, every single day. Um, it, and, and so there, there is a, definitely a lot of truth to that because, you know, you just can't prepare um, properly without actually going through live practice. And, um, you know, and it, it's usually in college, um, it's very rarely are you going ones, ones against ones. Um, you, you're trying to keep your starters healthy and, and, and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to limit the amount of times that you're going one-on-ones, um, you know, specifically talking starters on defense versus starters on offense. So um, it's very important to have a good practice, you know, a good practice team. But then again, um, you know, even though you're going live, you're not necessarily getting the best looks uh, going against, you, you know, a fourth string or, or red shirt um, or, or, or a walk-on player for that matter. So, um, you know, but it, but it is necessary to get and prepare for the season. So when I was watching the uh, Sunday night game, they said Belichick used every single defensive player that he had dressed in the first game because of they didn't have the preseason and all that stuff. So when the Pac-12 gets going, which looks like it's going to be fairly soon anyway, do you expect that type of deal to where guys are going to be needing uh, opportunities to come off and so other guys, maybe they play more guys than they normally would because of this unique situation that we've had as far as training? Yeah, I think I think it's a smart approach. Uh, I definitely do. And you know, every coach is going to be different, and every coach is going to have their own philosophy of how they're going to do that. Uh, I think I think it's going to really highly depend on the depth of the team. Um, and and if these if these coaches feel like they have good depth with their twos and their threes, then I don't see why they wouldn't. Um, versus just you know letting these starters go in full go when they haven't really had a ton of, you know, preparation physically as far as training and getting prepared for the season. So I think it's a smart approach, but you also don't want to put yourself at risk by putting people out there that uh, are going to affect the team in a negative way. And and so, um, you know, it's going to come down to which teams have the most depth and if they're able to uh, plug a lot of guys in there and, and still be effective during the game. Former Cougar Jordan Pendleton joining us. So uh, your Cougars looked awesome against Navy. 
the offensive line, just massive holes. How much of that do you think BYU's got a really good offensive line and they are going to roll through Troy and roll through the other teams? And how much of that was Navy hadn't been hitting and it really isn't a fair test? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, man. They, they did look unbelievable. It was, it was so nice to see us uh, be able to establish the run game. And, and uh, for, for the first time in a while, it looked like we had – and identity on offense, and, and then it, it opened up the pass game for Zach Wilson, and it was awesome to see a, a balanced game from BYU where we're rushing over 200 yards, throwing over 200 yards, and, you know, it, it's, it's tough to say. You know, Navy is a tough team to um, kind of gouge that off of because, uh, you know, those Navy teams and Air Forces and Armies, they're, they're, they're teams where they need a lot and a lot of repetition, um, the, the style of football that they play just requ- it requires a lot of precision. Um, most most times they're undersized, and uh, um, you know especially like their their offense and, and the, the the scheme that they run on offense. It requires a lot of timing and a lot of precision, and and they've got to be perfect in order to execute. And, and that's what makes those programs effective and, and kind of the style of football that they play. So it's a really and, and I don't know how their offseason went. It sounded like, you know, they missed a lot of time. And, and, you know, when you're in a style of program like that, it's very hard to judge off of, you know, one first game. But with that being said, um, you know, BYU took full advantage of it and, and they looked really good. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that uh, that's how BYU is going to play the rest of the season. And so we'll find out. Uh, it's going to be tough. They had, I think, two weeks off. After that game, you know, you would love to see them be able to play with that momentum, be able to play the next week and and um, and carry that momentum on. But having two weeks off and then now facing Troy, uh, it'll be interesting to see how BYU comes out and how they've been preparing for the last two weeks since the victory over Navy. So I know you and your brother can get crazy. Do you take it? Did you take it easy when you're up there in my neighbor's cabin in Star Valley? <laughs> Yeah, we took we took it easy. Um, I just we just golf and and hanging out. That's really all we do up there. But um, no, we we love it up there, man. I I took it easy. The golf course didn't take it easy on me, though. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Did you try to Bryson uh, Deschambeau it, kind of muscle up on that thing, and the golf course bit uh, you. That's that's all I do. That's all I do. It doesn't work out for me about ninety percent of the time, though. Well, Jordan, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and talking football and a little training, a little uh, Pac-12 and a little Cougars. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Jordan Pendleton, owner of Performance One and former BYU linebacker. The countdown's on to see what happens with the football season. When will it start? How much time do these guys need before they get going? Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us, especially you Raiders and Saints fans. We'll get to that next.